0: Like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. And in verse 42 we read, He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Some of you may have heard me tell of a lady who had taken over the leadership of a women's meeting and was thinking aloud about preparing for the uh, ladies' fellowship carol service. And she said, What shall I talk to the ladies about? Only to hear her little daughter say, Why don't you tell them about Jesus? That was over 40 years ago. But it still provokes me to ask why are we so reluctant to talk openly and directly about Jesus? Why don't we preach more directly about Him? As we saw this morning, Paul was determined to know nothing among men save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the Lord Jesus said, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. Many would say that has reference only to the cross. Others would suggest that whenever we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, he draws men and women to him. I was recently at a thanksgiving service for a retired pastor and preacher, one who loved the Lord and his word and his people, one who believed the doctrines of grace and the Spirit's anointing. The service was led by a very close friend of over 50 years, a man who had been his best man at the wedding. In fact, they had a pact between them that whoever died first, the other one would take the funeral. The preacher was also a close friend. They had come to know each other when they first entered the ministry, when they entered a region where there were very few evangelical Christians and Things were very difficult for them, and they met each other and became lifelong friends. They spoke so well and knowingly of their friend, giving glory to God and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour. We heard the testimony of friends. In a different context, a rather brash young man visiting Amish or Amish country, depending on how you spell it, asked one of the older Amish men, Sir, are you a Christian? And it said that the old man paused for a while and then took a pencil and paper out of his pocket and made a list of local tradespeople and officials and gave it to the young man saying ask them whether they think I am a Christian. In other words not the testimony of a friend but the testimony of outsiders and I find that interesting because Paul Uh, says to Timothy that overseers and deacons must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's traps. Sadly, I know of two churches who called pastors, the one feeling that it wasn't necessary to make inquiries beyond what they knew themselves the other church rejecting offers of help and advice with sad consequences for both of them. Sometimes the testimony of outsiders can be very helpful and illuminating. But last and not least, what of the testimony of enemies? Biased? Prejudiced? inaccurate, hopelessly wrong, possibly, most likely, but also at times very revealing. In the passage read for us from Matthew 27 on page 999 in the Church Bible, we're told that those who pass by hurled insults at the Lord Jesus, and then, in the passage that concerns us, in the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. And then thirdly, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. I propose we think briefly about what his enemies had to say about him. But before doing so, I want you to hold in mind what is said further on in verse 54. I've always taken it that this was the word of the centurion, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. They were terrified and it wasn't only the centurion it was those with him apparently who said, surely this man was the Son of God. Before we move on may I ask have you ever been a passerby? Are you even though you are here this evening, remember those who were surrounding the cross and those who we were looking at were religious leaders are you here tonight and yet deep down in your own heart you're no more than an observer a spectator in the secret place of your own heart are you a passerby? See, God who doesn't look on the outward appearance but looks on the heart, knows what we really think about the Lord Jesus. Have you ever been compelled by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to cry out, he is the son of God? So what was said by his enemies Seven things, but don't worry, we're not going to spend very long on them. Seven things, quite simple, quite clear, all found in just two verses. He saved others. Oh, they said it in mockery, but they were absolutely right. Right. That was the express reason why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost. What a a simple number of words. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What a mission. When Peter was walking on the water and began to sink, he cried, Lord, save me when the storm swept over the lake and over the boat in which Jesus and the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee, the disciples woke Jesus who was sleeping saying, Lord, save us. But his teaching revealed that he comes to do more than save men and women and boys and girls physically. And at the last, as it were, when one of the thieves crucified with him cried, save yourself and others. The other realized that there was more needed and possibly available than physical safety and security. So he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." He saved others. That's true, isn't it? That's what his enemies said. And it's true. He saved others. Not just from harm and danger. Not just from sickness and even physical death in some cases. He saved others spiritually and eternally saved me in 1957 when I was in my mid-twenties. Has he saved you? Has he saved you? Not automatic. It's not a result of some ceremony. Not because of who your parents were. It's not because of the bricks and mortar of this building. Has he saved you? Are you saved? Will you be saved? It's quite extraordinary that his enemies in their mockery pointed to the truth, pointed to the very reason for which he came. He saved others. He saved many here. Praise God. But has he saved you? He cannot save himself. My, that takes some thinking about, doesn't it? Saved others, but he cannot save himself. In chapter 26, the Lord Jesus said, put up your sword back into its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Then this, do you think I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Could have been saved. But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? The fact is that He could not save Himself and others. Someone had to pay the debt. Someone had to bear the holy wrath of God against sin. You've probably heard the story of the boys who were playing cricket and one of them got rather enthusiastic and whacked the ball straight through somebody's window. The boy had been properly brought up and uh, had went to apologise knocked on the door and the man came to the door uh, not well pleased we've come to say how sorry we are you've broken your window oh that's all very well but somebody's got to pay somebody's got to pay and we've broken the holy laws of God and we've rebelled against him and somebody has got to pay And it was either Jesus or us. He could not save himself. His enemies were right. There is a hymn in Christian hymns and in the new Christian hymn books, but I do not recall ever singing it at all. I grieve that we had the hymn book for so many years and I'd overlooked this particular hymn. Himself he could not save, he on the cross must die, or mercy cannot come to ruin sinners nigh. Yes, Christ the Son of God must bleed, that sinners from sin might be freed. Himself he could not save, for justice must be done, and sin's full weight must fall upon a sinless one. For nothing less can God accept in payment of the fearful debt. Himself he could not save, for he the surety stood for all who now rely upon his precious blood. He bore the penalty of guilt when on the cross his blood was spilt. Himself he could not save, yet now a saviour he, Come, sinner, to him, come. He waits to welcome thee. Believe in him and thou shalt prove his saving power, his deathless love. Himself, he could not save. But do not think it was easy for him. In the previous chapter, In the Garden of Gethsemane, we are told that he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Three times he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Three times he submitted to the Father's will. Himself, he could not save. He is the King of Israel. True. Pilate recognized it. He had asked Jesus, Are you the King of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. He had been silent. But when he was asked this direct question, It is as you say, Having heard that, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many read the sign. The chief priests protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Can you see what they were saying? Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. You may read different things into Pilate's words and motives, but do remember two things. The statement stood. Pilate gave way to the clamor of the people to crucify Jesus but he did not give way to the high priest's call to change what he had written. And Pilate had been in the presence of the Lord Jesus and he had witnessed the Lord's silence until he asked him the direct question and he had heard the Lord's reply, it is as you have said. And no doubt he was affected as many men are by what his wife said to him I leave this statement with words from Revelation he is lord of lords and king of kings on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written king of kings and lord of lords The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. His enemies were right when they said, he's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him, the longest and the first false statement, not about Jesus, but about themselves. They were such poor judges of their own perverseness, their unwillingness to believe the clearest signs. So much so that in the story or the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus concludes, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. In response to the Pharisees and the Sadducees' request for a sign from heaven, Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And having said that, Jesus left them and went away. Paul recognized that there was something far more important than signs. Writing to the Corinthians, he said, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Preaching may not be highly regarded again in the 21st century there's nothing new in this. In the first century, there were those who did not want it. The Jews depended on externals. The philosophers depended on human wisdom and did not want the preaching of the cross. But there were those, both of Jews and Gentiles male and female, young and old, who heard the preached word, received it, believed it, and responded to it, were convicted and were converted and saved. For faith comes by hearing, not by signs, and hearing by the word of God. Paul spells it out very powerfully, when writing to the Christians in Rome. This is what he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their own wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. We must move on. He trusts in God. True, he did. The Psalms often call us to trust in the Lord. And in the New Testament, we read of those who come to trust in Christ and in God, but none manifest trust in God more clearly and more powerfully than the Lord Jesus. We've already touched upon his submission to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whatever he felt as the perfect man, however much he dreaded all that he was to bear on the cross, nevertheless, his complete confidence and trust was in his Father. Father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And again, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. What an expression of trust and confidence. But there's a greater manifestation of trust to come. In his extremity, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember Job's expression of trust? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. How much more so Jesus, who is so much nearer to death than Job was when he expressed his trust. And still we haven't reached the ultimate expression of trust For having cried, it is finished, he called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, not into the scales of justice, not on the basis of deeds done or ceremonies undergone, though in his case they were significant simply in complete trust in God, in his father, not primarily the creator, but the one with whom he was in such a relationship. Father, have you ever called out to God as your heavenly father in your extremity? And is your final hope and trust in him, and will you at the last hour be able to say from your heart, "Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit? Are you able to say, with the apostle Paul, "I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep What I have committed to him against that day. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, taunted his enemies. I'll be brief here. Remember at the Lord's baptism. Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And again on the Mount of Transfiguration, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Different circumstances, the same declaration of love. Plus, this listen to him. Have you? Do you? Will you? His enemies said, let him rescue him now. Their problem was, among other things, that their timing was not God's timing. In the book of Acts, uh, we read Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to a cross but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God would not abandon him to the grave nor let his holy one see decay goes on to speak of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ therefore let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ God did rescue him God raised him from the grave. And last but not least, he said, I am the Son of God. True. There are some very important things to note before we come to this final thought of the Lord's enemies. When others wanted to declare who he was, He instructed them to tell no one. Especially noteworthy is when uh, he and the disciples came to Caesarea Philippi and Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They, as you know, gave various answers. But who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, this wasn't revealed by man, but my Father in heaven, divine revelation, and it is still so. But then he warned the disciples not to tell anyone. So, if that's the case, what is the basis of his enemies saying, he said, I am the Son of God. When all through his ministry, he had sought obscurity and had told people not to say who he was. Well the basis is this when he was before the Sanhedrin and the witnesses did not agree as they made their accusations against him the high priest was so frustrated that he said to Jesus I charge you under oath by the living God notice that I charge you by oath by the living God tell us if you are the Christ the son of God Jesus had been silent during all the false accusations and now he was being called on oath by the living God To tell them if he was the Christ, the Son of God. You might say words were put into his mouth, but he could have remained silent as he had been. But in view of the charge before the living God, he responded, yes, it is as you say. But that was not all. He underlined it and confirmed it in the uh, previous chapter. This is what he had uh, said. I say to all of you, in future, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. That is what he had said before the Sanhedrin. We know how the high priest responded. He rent his clothes and said, this man is deserving of death. How do you respond? And how do I respond to the accusation of his enemies, possibly, but to his own claim to be the Son of God? How do you claim, how do you respond to his invitation? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my burden upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. He could not save himself. His enemies were right if he was going to save you and me. And because he made it possible for us to be saved. We are going to remember him around the table. But before that, let's sing together. Before.